from the Finley Toyota Studio, it's Cofield and Company. Five o'clock hours here. We're tracking NCAA basketball. And while we're at it, you need to get in our Marked Mania Bracket Challenge, lvsportsnetwork.com. Got to get in before early Thursday morning. Grand prize worth upwards of $1,500. We'll throw cash in there. Tickets to a Golden Knights game and a Golden Knights player signed jersey. Uh, free meals for a year and also a, a staycation at Sahara Hotel Casino right here in Las Vegas. Uh, just so you guys know, I have Corpus Christi or Texas Southern going to the Sweet 16. I'm knocking off Kansas. Um, the one seed. No, I don't have that. Uh, but they are playing right now. They're playing right now. First game of the tournament. Texas Southern, 32-31, 34-31 over Corpus Christi, 90 seconds into the second half. And then Mountain West rep Wyoming will be playing Indiana tonight. That's supposed to tip around uh, 6-15, 6-30. But to get into bracket challenge with all that stuff in the grand prize, March Mania bracket challenge is up at lvsportsnetwork.com. Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents the Big Five at Five, number five. We'll do it live. No. We'll do it live. F*** it. We're live up on uh, Twitter and YouTube and Facebook, so check it out. You can ask us questions as well in our uh, chat area. So as always on the show, we have experiences around town. Nothing earth-shattering, but I just needed to lean on you guys. No, boy. My question here is the SOA jerk. The significant other, right? My girlfriend. We talk about her often. So we go out to get a meal. We decide to get some ramen. Big fans of that. We have a place that we like. We're there for the second time. I mean, we're having the time of our lives. We're having lots of fun. It's tasty. Some brewskis. And then all of a sudden, we look to our left. And a young man, young lady, and a child around two years old sits down. There's a look on both of our faces. Uh-oh. And then our... I don't say... I'm not going to say it's our worst. Fears were realized. But all of a sudden, we have the parents sitting there. They're both on their phones. And watching their child is one of these little handheld video games. Some kind of... Some kind of... Something's going on. <laughs> Like it felt like it was at that volume. Just for like 20 minutes. And I could see the SO just the whole mood change. Steam coming out of her ears. Like, I didn't even have to she didn't have to say anything. Just like, we're done. By the way, five minutes later, another family sat next to me. Now, here's the thing. I don't control who comes into restaurants to eat. And I guess you can do what you want with your kids. I, I know. Is it, it, right in the background? It's annoying, isn't it? I'm trying to speak. I'm trying to do a radio show. Crack it up, kid. What do you do? You had a kid. Now he's old. Yeah. Are parents worse than they used to be? Okay. Because so- I swear to God, the, the first story I thought of was... I don't think my parents let us out at a meal until I was, like, 24. They're like, you can't behave. You're a lunatic. That's not the case. But 
We knew when we went out. Now, this child was very young, right? Yeah, yeah. But we knew when we went out, if we misbehaved, it was going to be bad. It was a backhand. It was going to be bad. We had a we had a, a bunker in New Jersey. We had an old war bunker. The They'd lock us in there for weeks. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but it would be bad. And actually, one thing my mother used to say, and maybe it was like a little psychology, but she didn't tell us until we were like maybe 13 or 14. She said, you know, one of the things we always used to get compliments on is that you two behaved yourselves when we were out. So I don't want to do kids these days, and I don't want to do parents these days, and the child was two. The child doesn't know that it's being annoying with a stupid video game. But I don't know. How do we, like, how do we handle restaurants when people choose not to... You control can't. their child, you and the can't. only way they're controlling them is to let a little machine making noise babysit them. You can't, and it's it's funny because you. I love hot soup. It's the soup got cold because I was in a. I love hot soup. The soup got ruined. <laughs> I couldn't eat my Brussels sprouts. Here's the, <laughs> you. It's funny you bring up. You said you have a kid. What did you do? Because the first thing I'm thinking of, I'm <laughs> picturing when Jordan was in Taekwondo, we were. <laughs> the not middle class wage weren't or we were the low class we were the poor family we were the we we needed we needed sponsors they they but a lot of the family stepped up for us so we didn't have a lot you know there wasn't a lot when Jordan was young and I was struggling but we would go out to dinner after Taekwondo classes and some of the well to do parents and grandparents that had kids they had. I think back then it was Nintendos or Game Boys or something, whatever the handheld. And we would go to places like Applebee's or we would go to different places. And those parents would let their kids pull them out. And I'm talking about... Now, here's the thing. I'm not talking about a family with a brother and a sister, a family with two brothers, and then, okay, share. No, everybody... So can you imagine going out with two families for dinner... And here they are in martial arts students, right? In martial martial arts uniforms, and and they're supposed to. That's where you're supposed to get discipline, so on and so forth. But each sibling, so there. And I'm thinking of two families in particular, where there was a brother and a sister Ooh. and two brothers. So there's four video games. Yep. And here's Jordan just sitting at the table, and they were snarky little too, like rubbing it in, like we have video games, you don't. Right. And then parents would be like, share, share. But Jordan would play like, oh, no, it's okay. Because his mindset was we're at dinner, and and so he didn't. And when he eventually, and I was able to eventually at some point get him a, a Game Boy, I think it was called. Um, but he never pulled it out at the di- if we were out in public at the dinner table. That just didn't happen. That just didn't happen. You know, it just reminded me of another kid encounter at a restaurant. It was about two weeks ago. Um, out for brunch on a Sunday. Um, it looked like a mom and a daughter, and then a young child. And the young child was allowed to walk all around the eating area but the young child was also going to another table touching the plates and the silverware no and no. so one of the persons at the table at my group was like i mean what's going on with this kid no i crap you not within 10 minutes that same person at our table was like hey i you know i i need a plate an extra plate the server goes over the table where the kid's been touching all the stuff no and grabbed the plate and she's like no the no. kid's been touching the plate get me a fresh plate now is now, is that person a jerk for wanting a fresh plate and no. worrying about kids' germs? No. I mean, are they overhyped about it? No, absolutely okay. not. Especially, forget about, okay, 20 years ago, 20 years ago, and I'm not afraid to say it, and I don't care about what people want to say oh, these days. Go. You don't touch your kid. Jordan would have cut a backhand straight straight up in public. Ben Crosby I don't care. Over here. He would have got his hand smacked. 
Okay. Take, take it easy, Daddy Dearest. Now, in 2022, Willie Crawford. Were Rudy Gobert in all the dang yeah. plates? Yeah. Wait, calm down. Come on now. Calm down, man. Don't get all mad. But now, now think about that. I was a disciplinarian. I was an old if, school uh, disciplinarian. If another group had come in and go, gone to that, sure, gone to that table, because the, the servers don't know that the kids, you know, freaking licking the plates. And yet the parent didn't do anything. She didn't do a damn thing, and her super ritzy looking mom Can I tell didn't a quick care. Story? And uh, and I just, then you start going through this whole scenario that they they're they're probably like two of the people who complain about everyone else all the time, and then they're like they can't. They can't go out to a meal and actually watch their child. The child just gets to have free reign and run around the restaurant like a jackass. Can I tell a quick discipline story? Can you do it later? Sure. Okay. Tease board, grab bag, discipline. I want to hear more discipline because you got kind of scary mad there. <laughs> that got real scary. Oh, yeah. All right. I'm going to stay calm. All right. I'm going to stay calm. I'm going to stay calm. We played... <laughs> We we went through this whole lockout with baseball. I was completely pissed off. I banned baseball talk from the show. I kept hearing that the reason we had to do this, especially from stupid fans in markets where their owners don't care, that, well, they got to level the playing field. I mean, we got no chance to win, right? They come to an agreement. They have this tax on the top end. They didn't make a floor. We're working on competitive balance. We come back, and like within a week, the A's are like, "See everybody who makes money, the Reds, you're all gone." Wait, I thought we did this to help the A's and the Reds, and these teams that frankly have been lying that they don't have money. They come back and immediately they trade their best players. Why did we do this? What was the freaking point? Right? I mean, Jesse Winker from the Reds to Seattle. And don't even get me started on the A's. The A's straight away, Matt Olson to the Braves. He just signs a $21 million a year deal, eight years, 168. So with the A's, right? Well, let's, let's even get off the, the all of the, the baseball sharing the money. Okay. You have a new stadium on the way somewhere. I feel like that's a virtual guarantee. If they're not in Oakland, there's a good chance they get something here or elsewhere. Why are you cutting? If I'm Libby Schaff, the mayor of Oakland, I'm like, all right, you know what? We went through this whole G-damn thing, and now you're devaluing your product? Why are we going to build you a stadium? We don't trust that you're not going to do the same thing when you're playing in our palace. This baseball is is just like, it's so frustrating. The lying is so obvious, Willie. We have a lockout for competitive balance. And then we come back, and two teams are like, we give up. Can't happen, man. The A's, as an entire organization, whether it's players, whether it's the stadium, I mean, it's a complete mess. And I honestly don't think they know what they're doing from the top, top to the bottom. Well, they know what they're doing. No, they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna take the money from baseball, pocket it, and put a team on the field that makes fifty million dollars. And the A's fans are used to it. They're used to, hey, we're going to be competitive for three years and tear it down for two. They don't have to do that anymore. They have a new stadium coming. And I'll, I'll, throw, this, I'll throw this out there. And this is exactly what I said when this whole this whole charade began when we were used as pawns. Like, there's a 2% chance we're getting the A's. We don't want them. Do you realize if you come here and you don't act like 
a massive market team. No one will go to baseball games here. No. We already see no. it. The Knights aren't bad. I They're struggling. Don't... The Knights tomorrow night, I'll be able to get into the lower level for friggin' $70. If fans that... here, you win or we don't go. I'm convinced at this point that a Major League Baseball team that arrives here will have less of a local fan base or carryover fan base than the tourist and the uh, the trans transient fans of the visiting team. Like that, that that's going to be their that's going to be their ticket. That's going to be their gate. Yankees come to town. There's going to be it's going to be pro Yankee crowd. It's going to be like the, the the Arizona Cardinals football team where the visiting. They're not going to. They're they're and, and especially with an organization that's doing what's doing when you're talking about with Oakland, it's just not going to happen. Number three. So silly. All right. Countdown's on. We're inside a week. People are starting to freak out. They should. There's not a whole lot of time left here for the Knights. Can they fix things? What do they do here at the trade deadline? Something blockbuster? Well, I think that they they have to do something that is going to help the offense with immediacy. And I think that they have to do that before they focus on the goaltending situation because the the fact of the matter is is Laurent Bressois and Thompson, they both have proven that they can play, that they step up. You know, they have to have they have to put teams on their heels and force teams to defend them and keep them out of the offense out of their offensive zone. Stay in their own offensive zone, meaning Vegas. So I think that they have to go after somebody if in fact they're going to be without their players. I mean, they just put Riley Smith on the injured reserve, right? That's according to the NHL media site. You have Pat Charetti. You have Stone on the shelf. I mean, you have to be able to have a competent offense in order to go deep into the playoffs. The hot goaltender, that that storyline can only go so far. We saw that last year in the playoffs when they got to the point where Mark Stone wasn't scoring. Power play wasn't scoring. Right? Marc-Andre Fleury was getting his job done up until he gave the puck away against Montreal. But to a degree, the offense was starving. They have to fix that offense. What can they do? Well, we've seen this team pull off some blockbuster trades at the deadline. Do I think that there's something going on behind the scenes? Absolutely. I definitely think that Right now, George McPhee and Kelly McCrimmon are working behind the scenes very quietly. It would not surprise me once the team gets back or if we start to hear rumblings, little rumors come out, Dr. Saravelli, we will hear some things. But whether or not they can pull it off is a whole other story. But they're going to have to give up some players. Um, I I, I can't imagine that they're just going to give up picks at this point. Now, for me personally, I've been saying this off and on, people dragging me in and out of this conversation, but Max Pacioretty has spent more time on the shelf this season. It always seems that this dude is going down with injury. I mean, great guy, family man, good to interview. He's a stud on the ice, but the consistency in playing time has got to be there. And if you're not going to have that on the line with Eichel and Stone, when Stone does come back, because when Stone's out there, outside the scoring drought in the playoffs, Stone gives you everything that you can ask for from a captain in terms of energy, enthusiasm, leadership, uh, chances, 
high high danger chance. I mean, he he does what he's supposed to do, and he when he's healthy, you know he's there. You can't help it. I I saw him in the press box uh, not too long ago, and his, this injury or this was a while back. It was about a month ago. This injury was real. He couldn't walk. He was in pain. Pacioretty, this dude's just been on the shelf back and forth and back and forth for the last how many seasons? So I'm not sure who they're going to give up, what they're going to do, but if they're going to make a fix, it's got to start with the offense. Number two. Boy, this Deshaun Watson thing is getting crazy. So is so my text still, messages he, about, he, uh, about me? About the uh, parents. About the parents? Yeah, I got a good, I got a good one. He made a good point. My guy, Rodney. All right. Rod- it's coming up at 545. Yeah, on the yeah, yeah. We're teasing. More follow-up on uh, kids acting like animals when we're out eating. <laughs> Deshaun Watson, you know, still under the specter of these allegations. Just the grand jury didn't move forward with it on the yeah. criminal side. Yeah. Saints, Panthers, Seattle, Eagles to a certain extent. Now throw in the Browns are meeting with them. The Falcons with Matt Ryan, who's making a lot of money. Then I mentioned the Niners. Who else will get involved here? This is pretty crazy. I, to me, the Falcons thing is, in some ways, a blueprint for what the Raiders should be doing in terms of kicking the tires. I think the Falcons are like, okay, if we have to, you know, not have to, but if we've got Matt Ryan around, we're okay. But now we're seeing a market where could we get Deshaun Watson, who's from the area, and then flip. Matt Ryan to someone who needs a quick fix quarterback because there are some teams that are in desperate situations here. I don't think the Browns, the Browns are talking to Deshaun Watson. We know Baker Mayfield's not the long-term solution. The Colts are a fascinating story right now because they can't get in on the Watson thing because the Texans are like, no, 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 we're not trading him in the division. So now like you've got teams with even the Vikings should be making calls. Hey, we got Kirk Cousins for, you know, a year, second year, if you want him. Come on, Colts. This is fascinating. And then, of course, obviously, is all the stuff he was in trouble for. That's still hanging around. But lots of teams want Deshaun Watson. And they have to weigh in the fact that there's a possible suspension sitting there. So, you know, signing him, you're going to be without him for X amount of time. So which, which team has the guy that they can, you know, do without and they have someone that could supplement? The interesting name that I'm waiting to emerge if he does, because let's not forget, he was a starting quarterback at one point, is Marcus Mariota. Well, Mariota, I think, is the backup plan for the Colts, Ooh. right? But even he's going to cost money. He's going to cost a, a pretty penny if there, if, you know, if there are four quarterback chairs open. Those teams are going to, they're, they're not, they're not going to get Mar- Marcus Mariota for $4 million a year. Okay, well, tell you that. they better pony up. Well, my point is now there's a market for even guys like Matt Ryan. Well, Matt and, Ryan, and you, more, Matt Ryan could actually just get you a little bit back. Yeah, you know it's a salary dump, but he gets you a little bit back, and then you open the door for Deshaun Watson. Well, and here's the thing: as every team steps up and more teams become into step into the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes, it just drives the market up. So now the price is getting higher, and it's just going to help all those quarterbacks. You talk, to, I mean, it's it's this whole Deshaun Watson sweepstakes is really driving the market up for guys like Marcus Mariota, Baker Mayfield, Matt Ryan, because there's going to be teams in need, and as more teams get involved, the prices go up. 
I thought we had some really stupid stuff that was said on ESPN radio today. Mm-hmm. And I'll get it Miles next week. But uh, Miles was saying that you have to get Christian McCaffrey back from the Panthers. No, you don't. Why would you want that if you're the Texans? You're a, a young team, you know, a building team. Uh, I heard um, Canty with whoever was filling in with him today saying that, that if the Niners got involved, Nick Bosa would have to be. Th- what are you talking about? Because what's going to happen is teams will get involved. Watson will get down to the last couple of teams, and then he'll tell that team, like, you're not trading Nick Bosa if I'm coming there. Right. You're Find not trading Christian without, McCaffrey like, if I'm coming yeah, there. I'm yeah, not, no. You're not doing that. Right. And no. the, the Texans don't have, like, everyone thinks the Texans have some kind of leverage here. If Deshaun Watson, well, if he wants, he could just go back. Right. Hey, play me, or I'll just, I'll just make the money and sit out again. Yeah. Dumbasses. So he's got a lot of control in this. But, yeah, the, the Christian McCaffrey or Nick Bosa yeah, that going in a deal, get the I hell agree. out of here. No. Number one. We talked about a list you found yesterday about all these top-level defensive backs that the Raiders could be bringing in. My guy's still available. You want Stephon Gilmore? Hmm. Well, why was I reading multiple reports last night that it was really close and it's done? It's just about done. What's going on here? Sources say. What's going on here? <laughs> I don't know. You texted me I was asleep, I think. I'm watching losing. all night. I'm waiting for the the, the Raiders to get the, somebody. I, I'm up until two in the morning. I, I I'm like, up, where's the big sign? You're up till two in the morning, and I'm waking up at two fifteen. Yeah, you get up at two fifteen. I text you like ten minutes for it's close. <laughs> What's wrong with that? All right, where's Gilmore? Come on, did we miss it? All right, is he on Twitter? Gilmore, did he sign? All right, you got some news for us? Wait, what's what's going right, on? I heard, reports, I heard reports yesterday that uh, well, it was a fake one, and then some Raider media people got caught by it. But uh, I thought the Honey Badger was signing. Come on. Let's go. That's why I say be careful about the sources you're reading when it comes to these signings, right? And for Gilmore, you know, now that a bunch of guys came off the list, I guess technically above him, he has even more leverage. By the way, if the the Raiders really want Stephon Gilmore and they've got the Patriot ties, if the Jets come in and somehow beat out the Raiders – I mean, I would guess they're going to pay him a lot more. Like there's going to, like, like I mentioned yesterday to you, is there a Jax tax, a Jacksonville tax? The Jets are going to have to pay, you know, over market to get guys. You can't lose to the freaking. If you want them, you can't lose to the freaking Jets on Gilmore. Okay, the latest team on the Gilmore sweepstakes uh, an hour and a half ago, Indianapolis Colts. Here we go. Yep. Right, because the Niners got in, they grabbed their guy. Ward goes from Kansas City. So you figure out the Niners are out on Gilmore. Come on, Raiders. Come on. Willie, I mean, he put his rep on the line yesterday. Yep. That's how back in certain writers. These are the big name free agents are going to get at cornerback. Nothing's happening. It's the Big Five at Five, brought to you by Battle Born Injury Lawyers. If you've been injured, call Justin Watkins at Battle Born Injury Lawyers, 570 9000. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota studio. First playing game, first four. Corpus Christi up by four points on Texas Southern, 57 to 53, eight minutes left. Winner will get Kansas. Wyoming and Indiana is the second game of the night. Stick around in about 15 minutes. We're going to give away tickets to go see uh, Megadeth in April, but on the way next, let's get some more bracket breakdown from uh, 
former college and NBA coach, part of the uh, CBS and especially the Westwood One crowd. We're going to talk to PJ Carlissimo. Stick around. Cofield and Company returns in minutes in the Finley Toyota Studios. You're listening to Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. Let's continue the uh, bracket breakdown. We got Mountain West Conference teams, at least one in action tonight. Want to get to the playing games, uh, especially with some of the big boys. Over the next couple of days uh, with P.J. Carlissimo, and then we want to talk about the uh, San Diego region, the one that's closest to us, and overall look at the brackets, and uh, the coach is with us. P.J. Carlissimo, how are you? Excellent, Steve. How are you doing? Real good. How's it going? Real how good, real good. Um, all right, let's uh, – first of all, you know what I wanted to mention with the playing games is – especially with the, the Power Five or, or bigger-name schools, is there a rhyme or reason of who's you know in these 11 games where they have to play into the tournament, the 12 games who play into the tournament? Um, the, the, yeah, I mean, I, they're the, la- the last ones that are picked. I mean, that, that's the, the way it goes. They don't, they don't put them all, you know, the, the people down the bottom. I think it's an automatic qualifier. Uh, you can't play in those. But last year, uh, UCLA played Michigan State. Yeah. One of the games, UCLA's, uh, you know, a basket away from getting to the championship game. So, um, you know, you look at, obviously, there's a big difference. I mean, we got, you know, you, you got Texas Southern, the AM Corpus Christi game, and that's next to Wyoming, Indiana. And on Wednesday, it's probably even more market, Wright State Bryant next to Rutgers Notre Dame. So, um, you know, the they're going to go in, you know, they go, they go in as 11s or 12s, whatever it is. The other guys go in as 16s. And, I mean, the, the reality of it is sometimes uh, I know Mick was upset last year. I remember when we had them the next game they played, yeah. they felt they were disrespected that they put them in that game and they kind of played. That was They kind of played with a chip on their shoulder. Uh, they didn't play, if you remember. They, they came out of the, the Pac-12. Uh, Oregon State beat them. Um, you know, they were kind of limp and at the end didn't play particularly well. And then they turned it around and won a couple of close games. They, they were actually playing better each game they played in Indianapolis. So, um, it's, you know, one sense you don't want to be in it. In the other sense, there's a lot of people playing in the NIT that, that would gladly point. trade that for, uh, even to be playing in the first four. Yeah, I, I always, uh, I, I always kind of think of the uh, conspiracy theory angle as a radio host on, uh, on you know, that TV matchups matter, and these are pretty good TV matchups. Um, what do you think happens with Indiana and Wyoming? I don't have a good feel. I saw Wyoming a little bit on TV. I saw Indiana a lot more. Again, I, did, I didn't have them um, uh, in person. Um, Indiana has at times looked very, very good. And at other times, they've struggled. Like Woody's done a good job. They exceeded whatever they thought they were going to do this year. And Wyoming, for a good chunk, particularly like the last month of the season, everybody had them in. Uh, and then, uh, you know, they, they, they lost a couple and it, it didn't, it didn't happen for them. Uh, I don't, I don't have a good feel. The other one is, uh, to me, the, the Notre Dame Rutgers is, is a interesting matchup. Rutgers played so well in the tournament last year. Uh, and they this year they started out looked like they were struggling. We're not going to have a good year at all, and then completely turned it around. They had one stretch of about two weeks where they were beating everybody, um, and no, not a lot was expected from that team. Mike Bray did a hell of a job. That team just kept you know 
all they did was keep winning. You know, some people say, well, the ACC was down. It, it was down, you know, relative to what it normally is. But still, um, you know, down in the ACC is, is not that far. And uh, I, I thought Mike did a good job. I think Rutgers um, played as good as or even better than the talent they have available. Yeah, and you're certainly familiar with the uh, Rutgers story, you know, being the Seton Hall coach, and actually that's where I went to school at Rutgers. Um, the story the story is really as much about this year, but also what he's built the last, you know, five or six years. Uh, well, the fact that they've, 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 made, they've they went, made the before field. Before they went to the NCAA. Right. And, uh, <laughs> Steve, you know, has done a great job. I mean, I knew Steve was playing when I was still coaching at Seton Hall. Uh, played for Jim Calhoun, was a captain on maybe Hooney's first NCAA team at at UConn, not not our first. Uh, I think he was. I remember last year when we were interviewing him, um, reading the bio and some of the things he had accomplished. When he's done well, he's a heck of a coach. They knew he was a coach before he got a good coach before he got the Rutgers job. But I mean, frankly, uh, as much as they've struggled, uh, that that wasn't expected. And um, you know, they, they he lost some good people from last year. I watched one of your guys uh, all year, uh, young, playing for. Uh, Playing for Oregon, and yet they still they still came back and played played well, and uh, you know they 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 got a chance again. Uh, I, and I've I've got both of those games uh, in San Diego. That you know the White State Bryant winner that does not is not a bargain. They get Arizona, but I mean the the Rutgers Notre, Rutgers Notre Dame uh, winner plays Alabama. I mean that's you know that's some matchup. Those guys again, people get all hung up on the seeding numbers this time of the year. If, if Rutgers played Alabama or Notre Dame played Alabama in the regular season, we just call that a good game, you know, a really good intersectional game. Um, you know, you wouldn't feel um, that different about it. But because Rutgers or Notre Dame are an 11 and Alabama is a 6, uh, I just think that potentially is a very good basketball game. you got, uh, you know, three schools from major conferences that, that have played a whole bunch of this caliber game all year. Um, that's that's where I think the you know people get critical sometimes of the people from the power conferences where their records aren't as good. I mean, the truth of it is, if you're in one of those, and it's not always five. Some years maybe it's less. I think a lot of years there's six or seven. Um, when you play that many games, you know, against that caliber of, of competition, it's just great preparation. You can get beat in a game in the NCAA, but it's really hard to win six of those games unless you're coming from one of those leagues. You're just not used to playing that level of competition, you know, every game or every other day as it is, you know, for, for a weekend. So I think that's where the, the, the teams from the major conferences have a big advantage, just the quality of their competition. That's where Fuey's always been smart. Their league, you know, he knows the league is very good at the top. Uh, I think they got three, the West Coast Conference, in this year. But he's always played anybody, anywhere out of conference because he knows he needs those other games to, you know, to get his team ready. So um, I, I just think that um, the, the gap between the, the teams that just don't get this kind of competition on a regular basis and the other teams is a little bigger than people realize. Breaking down the brackets with P.J. Carlissimo, who will be on Westwood One in the uh, the San Diego region. Arizona is there. They're going to draw a hell of a crowd. So San Diego, that VS Arena is going to be super crowded. Is Arizona the best team in the country? They're right there. If they're not, I, I you know, I say they and Gonzaga. I, I've seen 
uh, Arizona more in person. I only saw the Zags one time. But, I mean, I, I think they've proven it over the course of the year. Having said that, I, you know, like at the beginning of every year, you know, you get your team together and, uh, you know, you say your goal is the national championship and, you know, you put your hands in and you have your slogan, whatever it is. But, you know, a lot of teams say that. But the, the reality of it is there aren't that many that really have a chance in a given year. This year, I think there's a bigger number than almost any year we've had. Because I, I don't think... As good as uh, Arizona and Gonzaga are, I don't think there's the gap between those two and, and anybody else in the country as there was last year between Baylor and Gonzaga and the rest of the country. I mean, Baylor and Gonzaga were just better than everybody last year, and there was little doubt about that. I don't think, and, and I'm a big Arizona fan, and I'm a big Gonzaga fan this year. I think either one of them, you, you know, if you gave me two picks, I'd take both of them. You know, that, those are the two I would take. But the gap is not what it was last year. I, there's there's a number. I don't know what that number is. Eight, you know, that's seven, eight in there. Teams that are are good enough to win those six games or seven games that you have to win to win the whole thing. Um, and I, so I think it's going to make for a really interesting tournament. Uh, we got some, you know, you got some teams with losses, more losses than normal that are really really good teams. Uh, I'm anxious to see the Big Ten. Last year was kind of a tough. Uh, tough year for them, and then they turn around. They got nine teams in again this year, so I want I want to see how they're going to do. PJ, you remember the the, the UNLV growth and 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 how you know with, with under Jerry Tarkanian, and it, it was a slow grind playing in the Big West, the PCAA, and then the Big West, and eventually getting to that ninety and ninety one year and, and winning the title. And but now they're calling Gonzaga the UNLV of this era. Is that fair to Gonzaga, number one? And number two, is their time coming as well? Do you see them emerging at some point under Mark Few like UNLV finally broke through and winning that championship? Because UNLV got to you know, two Final Fours and then the third yep. one won the title. I hadn't heard that. Uh, I'm, I'm, I was certainly very familiar with, uh, with, with you know, UNLV. We ran into <laughs> yeah. them in... 89 when we got to the final four and, and came up a point short. Uh, and then we ran into them again, uh, two years later in 91. They beat us in the Elite Eight, right. uh, when they, when they were the defending champ and didn't win. It was the undefeated team right. that, that a lot of people thought was, you know, was better, but that they were undefeated at, at, you know, going into, I always confused. Was it Minneapolis or Indianapolis? They lost in one of those two, um, that year. They won in Denver against Duke. Uh, I remember that vividly, and then Duke got them back. I think it was in Indy uh, in 91, but we played them then. I mean, Tark had a run. He had an unbelievable run, but I think we probably have slept on Gonzaga a little bit until recently. In order, they've been to two Final Fours uh, in the two championship games in, in the last four years. When you look at the body of work, I mean, it, it's ridiculous when you look at the numbers that they've put up and sustained it since Huey's been there. It, it, I think it's more than 20 years now. I mean, they win 25 every year. They do play out of their conference. They're playing a much tougher schedule now um, than they did then. That's because of the out-of-conference. They play even more of those tough games. They're getting better players now. Not that those guys weren't good, but, you know, going back to the Adam Morrisons and Dan Dickow and uh, Pangos, and, I mean, they, they had a lot of really good players over the years. I just think they have more talent now. I really think they've broken through. They won't get credit till they get the, you know, I don't think people will put them up there until they win a championship. But 
the way they're going now and the way Dewey continues to recruit, I just think it's a matter of time. I, th- I thought they were going to get it last year. I was shocked that that uh, championship game was as one-sided as it was. But um, I-, I think they will break through one of these years uh, and get it. And, uh, I, you know, it's funny. I had never heard that comparison. Uh, I think either one of them would like it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if Tark was around, he would say that's flattering. Uh, what Gonzaga's done, and I, I think Huey would would you know say, hey, uh, that, that's a compliment to us to say that we're uh, approaching the level or at the level of those great Vegas teams over the years. And, it, and then it, the, they was, sustained it, both of them sustained it for a long time. Yep. Yeah, I was going to say. I mean, Tark was on the verge. I mean, he was getting good players over the years, but he was on the verge after the national title. To getting like he was going to start hauling in, you know, five, thought, five, five guys yeah. in the top fifty at that point. No, no, I clearly thought that was the not the beginning, yeah. but I, 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 I was remember like thinking, you think they're good now? Well, God, yep. Um, it, it, this thing's going to last for a while, and obviously a, a lot of things uh, yes. interfered or interrupted yes, that. Yes. But it looked like they were set for a long, long run. Yeah, and if were. anything, you know, they're going to continue, maybe get deeper teams. Not, Again, it's hard when you go back and talk about those guys. So many of them I know so well, coached uh, coached some of them and coached against a lot of them uh, in the NBA. It's scary to think that they he would have gotten better. Uh, but kind of like Fury's teams, you know, you go back and look at some other Fury's teams and you say how good they are. Now you look at how many guys he's getting drafted. You know, kind of year in year out. That was what was happening toward you know Tark's team toward the end. Uh, and it, it probably would have, you know, gotten even more. He had so many. I, I still think back to Reggie Theus and those guys. I'm it's funny uh, when I was going to the airport uh, Sunday morning. Um, the, the gentleman who was driving me was a real fan, and we were talking about going to games. And I forget what what was the name of the convention center when they played across from the landmark. The Rotunda. Um, I, I remember going in there. Yeah. Uh, and and those teams, I mean, it was <laughs> incredible. And I remember he had some teams, Reggie and them, that everybody talked about the offense because they averaged whatever they averaged. I really don't remember. Yeah. It, was, it was north of 100. It was. But they were better defensively than they were offensively. Yeah. Everybody talked about how great they were offensively, and they, I, I thought they were missing the point. I mean, you couldn't get the ball in. You couldn't get it up the court. You couldn't run your offense. Uh, it was incredible how good those teams were defensively. Yeah, I did uh, games for a while with Robert Smith, who was on the UNLV broadcast team recently, sure. and he was the point guard on that team. And, yeah, he would, he'd yep. say, we, you know, we got to the game. We were like, this is, this is great. I mean, like, if we didn't play defense in practice, they were the hardest practice ever. Like, we, could kick, we didn't have defensive intensity in practice. We get kicked out of practice. Yeah, but I believe it. And, and, you know, we – fortunately, I only had to play against them twice, but it wasn't those teams early. I, I, I think people forget – how good some of those early teams were. That not that the other teams weren't great later on, but some of those ones early, the points they scored, that building they played in, and the uh, and and the defense they played was incredible. Uh, it really, it was really amazing. Uh, and then Tark would go across the street. I think was it Landmark? Was that the name of the? Yep. Um, across the street and do a press conference. Yeah. On stage at the landmark after the game, it was unbelievable. Uh, yeah, I was I was looking back at the '89 game. You you guys played against them and you just kind of beat them up. They shot thirty percent. You guys out rebounded them by fifteen, and obviously you guys made it to the national we title big, game. You you had yeah, a low, we, you had a loaded had a team big too. Physical team. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we and those were probably were the two best games we played in the whole tournament. We we got them in Indiana back. I mean the 
you know, to, to be a, a Jerry Tarkanian team and a, and a Bob Knight team uh, was a tough way to get to the Final Four, but we, we had a really good team. We had a lot of players, and they were big, physical, and, and they, you know, people let you play a little bit more in those days. The Big East was like football. Uh, I actually thought a good chunk, I don't know if you guys were there, I'm sure you watched it, um, Arizona, UCLA, got after it the other night. I mean, the man-to-man defense both of them were playing was unbelievable. Uh, I mean, they got big guys that can protect the middle. Both of them have two bigs. You know, they talk about all the, you know, perimeter bigs and the guys going out and shooting the ball from on the perimeter. Um, those two teams have two guys at the, at the rim that really do a good job protecting inside. Uh, it, it's, uh, I, I'm anxious to see them. Uh, in the NCAA. Yeah, we uh, we got to watch Arizona-Michigan out here at the beginning of the season, and Hunter Dickinson in the lead-up is, like, flexing all over the place because he's dunking left and right, and he went against Coloco and Tubelis, and they, yeah. they, did, they just they, they annihilated him. I mean, he just, like, all of a sudden he was like, man, maybe I'm not that big and strong. Yeah, no, they're, uh, they're legit. Uh, Tommy team is, you know, obviously not by accident, uh, similar to Fuey's, uh, similar to what we were saying about Tark's team. They score so much, they pass so well, they do so many things well on the offensive end that people don't appreciate what's going on on the other end. Yep. So you try, I mean, basically, people, you just can't score inside. That's what happened to Southern Cal against UCLA. They couldn't score inside the three-point line. I mean, every time they got in there, those guys were just contesting shots, and it was like nothing was happening inside. So it was. Uh, I was really impressed with the defense both of them play. You know, over the years, defense has really been a huge factor in, in the NCAA games. You know, again, in, in winning six of them. Because you, you, you just get one of those nights where you got to dodge a bullet. Very seldom do you play well all six. Or very seldom do you not run into somebody that's playing out of their mind one night. And usually you, it's your defense that bails you out on that night. So uh, I, think, I think these guys are very well set up um, to go deep in the tournament. PJ, have a great time in San Diego. Thank you for so much time. All right, appreciate it, Steve. Really good being with you. Thanks, PJ. There he is, PJ Carlissimo. We'll follow up on that. Some good UNLV memories there. As uh, yeah, that's crazy, man. That Seton Hall team was damn good. They made it all the way to the final. Obviously, went right down to the final seconds, and uh, that was you know before Larry Johnson arrived on the scene. Seton Hall took out UNLV pretty good. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Cofield and Company presents Grab Bag. Don't touch it. Don't even look at it. Only on ESPN Las Vegas. Take your hand in there, Dave. Wrapping it up on a Tuesday, Willie Cofield. Uh, did you get some text about our conversation about kids getting a little wild at dinner when you're out and potentially ruining the meal when you know you don't have kids? I did. I got I got one from uh, our dear friend Wendy Wallington, a marketing and PR specialist. She said maybe you know she could start a new business in teaching parents how to control their kids, kind of like a life coach. And then my boy Rodney said, "This day and age, these young parents. Where, what when you go to a restaurant? What do you see the young parents? What do you see young people? What are they doing themselves? They're on the phone." Well, that's what I said. There was the the couple showed up and they had a. A little girl who was probably no more than two, two and a half, and they were both on their phones, oh, and cool. yeah. and the girl had a, a a little game unit that was on max volume. So, whatever, you know. I, I'm sure there are parents out there who are like, "Well, then you can leave." Well, we did. Yeah. 
Well, well, we probably we probably completed three quarters of what you know what we we're going to eat. So maybe you saved us from you know being slobs and being too full. So thanks. Well, there's just it, it's you know and and everybody anybody who parents in their own roof, you're you're right because that's how you do it in your roof. But at some point, your kids are going to overwhelm you and bully you into whatever they want, and they're going to get it. And that's why I always took the literally the upper hand or the backhand. But yeah. Gotta be Wait, careful these days, my now? friend. I, I, Good thing I, you're not a parent now. Gotta be careful. I'll, I'll yeah. get a video of you. Yep. Oh, knock, knocking, oh, knocking around your kid. I'm telling you right now. How much time do we have, Jordan? Listen, two minutes, real quick. I'll get this in. We're you didn't t- need two minutes. We are I in got a, ta- a lot to say here. We're at a Taekwondo tournament. Normally, yeah. Jordan is prepared. I tell him like before, have your bag ready, have this. He was always, always prepared. Please tell me bag. you got into a scuffle and he beat you up. He you tried to he's supposed to have the headphones or this or that. We go to the we come down. We all the whole team meets in the lobby. Well, he, we had some people from out of town with us for this tournament in L.A. I said, "Where's your stuff? You're supposed to be prepared. You're always prepared. Nothing but excuses. He wasn't prepared like he always has. Have mm. we always been done? So mm. we get to the elevator, and he's still back mouth. He's still back talking. But no, an excuse, excuses. And I just looked at him, and one bam. Quick little backhand. And you know what? It was so cinematic, the trickle of blood just slowly you, appeared. Oh, really? Little, yeah. Damn, man. And then, You'd but you know what? You, you know what? He, he kicked the crap out of everybody and went double gold. There you go. So, I have no shame, man. Next next time Willie's in, we'll we'll talk about uh, his experience with his, his kid, Jordan, where he, uh, he choked him out. He just <laughs> put him to sleep. <laughs> little guillotine choke. My God. Got dark there, didn't it? Got real dark. Uh, by the way, very good conversation that we started and didn't get to finish with PJ Carlissimo about Gonzaga potentially being what Tark could have been in the 90s had everything not been blown up by the NCAA. Gonzaga is on the verge of getting lots of top 50 recruits, so they did it over the years. They've kind of built it up with some under-the-radar guys, but now they're ready to freaking explode. Now, you know, I, I said it a couple weeks ago. I think the powers around this country should be really afraid of recruiting from both Arizona and Gonzaga. Ooh, it could be ugly.